What's up, guys? Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. This is Jay Martin, and my guest today is Mark Moss. Now, Mark is an investor, an entrepreneur, a podcaster, a YouTuber, a macroeconomics geek. It's kind of like I'm describing myself here. He's the host of the Market Disruptor Show, and this was a super fun conversation. So we went two directions in the next hour. The first is the media business. We started out by talking about the media industry because I firmly believe that we are watching the media industry break right now, right in front of our eyes. The legacy media industry is just shattering. Now, every industry eventually gets disrupted. There's, there's nothing novel about this, but we're just getting a front seat to watch this happen in real time because the business model is broken. It is now the business of getting you or I to click on something. And that click is when they get paid. It's no longer the business of journalism or information or insights. And the business of getting clicks, I don't think is a sustainable business model. We're seeing this manifest in all kinds of symptoms like all-time low in public's trust in media. I think that's very justified. All-time high in censorship on mainstream media. Things like runaway cancel culture, just going crazy. So this may be ugly because nobody goes down without a fight, right? Every industry as it dies or gets disrupted will go down fighting. But this provides such a massive opportunity to the next generation of journalists, the independent creators. I think this is that once in a lifetime opportunity. So I'm actually very excited about how this plays out in the medium term. And I think we land in a place of super high quality, high integrity journalism again. There's just gonna be a bit of pain and uncertainty in the interim, which actually is a good segue into the second half of the conversation where we get into Mark's macroeconomic outlook. We discuss the transition from hard paper money to digital currency a transition that's occurring right now as well. Now, how this plays out, you know, some people will tell you that we're moving towards Bitcoin, you know, becoming the world reserve currency. Other people will tell you we're moving towards a central bank issued digital currency. I would tell you that nobody knows. There's way too many unknown variables at stake, but I absolutely believe we are moving that direction. I just don't know what the end game looks like, but we talk about that today. Now, I'll bet all day long on human ingenuity and human innovation and I'm an optimist. So I think this ends well, but I agree with Mark when he says the next five to seven years might be a bit unpredictable and therefore volatile. So of course, we talk about how he's positioned his portfolio to weather that storm. Okay, here is Mark Moss. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Jay Martin here, investor and CEO of Cambridge House. And I'm joined once again by Mark Moss an investor, entrepreneur, financial educator, host of Market Disruptors. Mark, yeah. it's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, Jay. Uh, I love being back. It was, uh, man, we had so much fun catching up. We should have recorded it, but uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> That's the mistake I make so often. You know, I like let the conversation roll before I hit record. And I'm like, oh my God, there's so much good stuff here. I got to get it. Mark, you've been on my YouTube show before, but I haven't had you on the podcast. This episode's going on both. So for anybody who's not familiar with you or who you are, could you open up with just a quick, you know, who is Mark Moss and how do you spend your time? So right out of high school, 18 years old, I started buying bank distressed properties, fixing them up and flipping them and just kind of jumped right into the investor game. And I've been basically a full-time investor my whole career. Started a couple of businesses, have Fortune 500 exits doing that. I got my 
my butt kicked in a really bad way in the 2008 great financial crash. Uh, they say smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. And uh, that, that, that's the truth. Um, it, it taught me some valuable lessons and it gave me a lot of motivation that I had been really good at making a lot of money, but I didn't understand this whole financial casino that was going on, the financial system. And so uh, it motivated me to go figure that out. And I spent the last dozen years um, studying a phenomenon known as wealth transfers and how those work and what the Federal Reserve is doing and uh, became a gold bug. And then I realized I'm actually just a sound money advocate. And uh, for the last like six or seven years, I've just been making uh, educational content, trying to prevent people from making the same mistakes that I made when I got my butt kicked in 2008, uh, because I was able to kind of bounce back, but a lot of people can't do that. Um, and so yeah, I make a lot of content doing that. I study mostly macro trends, uh, heavy Bitcoin, some gold and some real estate, speak around a lot of stages, uh, YouTube content. I have a nationally syndicated radio show and podcast as well. And uh, yeah, that's that's the high level view of what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, the way you described it, you have this awakening, right, to the financial casino and, and wealth transfers. And it, I feel like, you know, that's occurring right now at, at yeah. scale, right, around the world, definitely in, in North America. I'm up in Canada, you're in the US. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's what's grown my channel, right? Like people are suddenly very curious about what the hell's going on out there, right? Yep. You must For be sure. seeing this trend. And obviously, you're, you're moving into it. So, what are the biggest questions that people are asking right now, Mark? Well, um, there's a couple of things that are going on. And so uh, you're absolutely right. There's a big trend going on. Uh, and there's a couple of things that are in play. It depends on how, how wide of a lens that you want to look at. I'm super encouraged by the amount of people jumping in, as you said, right? Like just for example, 10 years ago, nobody, nobody ever used the word fiat. Right. People didn't even know what the Federal Reserve was 10 years ago. 2009, Ron Paul wrote the book in the Fed, and that really started bringing attention to the Federal Reserve. And what is the Federal Reserve and why do we care? I got to speak on the same stage with him a few weeks ago. That was pretty rad. Highlight of my year for sure. Um, but, you know, so over the last 10 years, we've really seen this increase in education. And I think the reason why is obviously the financial system is broken. Obviously, Bitcoin has brought a lot of attention to that. But bigger than that, it's mega political shifts that change the world. If we look back through the long lens of history, the way that the world changes, the way that people organize, uh, people, way, way people organize, people work, and even politics changes based off of technology. Really, the last 250 years, the world has been moving towards centralization with the in the 1700s with the start of the Industrial Revolution. And Industrial Revolution brought people from decentralized from the farms and the fields into the cities, into factories. In the last 250 years, it's been grown into giant uh, you know, factories and assembly lines. Um, in the early 1900s, Henry Ford created the assembly line. And then we had railroads and all this centralization that happened, which allowed the governments to get extremely, extremely big. But what we're seeing now is we're seeing technology is changing that and it's starting to change the way that we see the world and we interact and so forth. Um, if we go back for a perspective about 500 years ago, um, so about every 250 years, there's a political revolution. So 250 years ago was the American and French Revolution. And that represented the American people pushing back on the centralization of the monarchy. And they started a decentralized government, a republic in the United States. 250 years before that was the Protestant Reformation. People were pushed back on the centralization of the church and the state, and they set up a decentralized path towards God. And, and that was brought on 70 years earlier by a new technology called the printing press. The printing press started getting Bibles out in the hands of the people, and they said, wait a minute, church, everything you've been telling us is wrong. And as a matter of fact, we don't need you. And the church tried to hang on to that power. They labeled anybody that would read that and speak out of that. They labeled them a heretic and they would kill them. And lots of people died. The state tried to hang on to that power, but the technology was too powerful and they couldn't hang on to their grip. The reason why that's important is 
Then 250 years later, we moved to the Industrial Revolution. And now here we are, 250 years later, at the, at the precipice, uh, we're in the middle of another political 250-year revolution. And just like the printing press 70 years before the Protestant Reformation, the internet came out about 40 years ago. And the internet has done the same thing as the printing press, which is, is put this information out there and people are hungry for this information and people see this information. And now the state, uh, the powers that be, they cannot contain this. They can't contain it. People see this information. And just like the church and state were broken up once that information became decentralized, um, we're starting to see the, the powers that be the state lose their power grip as well. Um, the internet has changed things in a rapid way, and it's only going to continue. Uh, at this point, you know, we were talking before we started recording about the media, um, and the media has lost their grip as well. Um, we have alternative, what they consider alternative news sources, the Joe Rogans, the Tucker Carlson's, and even shows like yours and mine are getting way more views than mainstream media is today. And no matter how hard they try to control that narrative, they just can't. And so that's why I think there's this thirst. That's why there's this need for it, this want for it. Um, and that's where I think it's really going. You know, I, I, don't, I hope it's not too dramatic to say, but like, you know, you, you touched on, you know, heresy back in the day, right? You know, burned at the stake for being a heretic, yeah. like this occurred. And right away I was like, is deplatforming the new burned at the stake? It is. It is right? yeah. not it a is. far stretch, is it? It's uh, I mean, the, the cancel culture is the burning. The deplatforming is the death. Right. Mm. Um, and so what they do is uh, before they try to deplatform, they first have to villainize them. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they'll go after them and they'll attack their character. And that way they have justification for the next part, which is the, the death. Right. Um, and so it, it is 100 percent. And so just like the church was um, killing people trying to maintain their grip today, they're deplatforming people trying to maintain their grip. You know, what, what strikes me most about that, Mark, is I feel like most people who are firm Bitcoin advocates had an aha moment at some point, right? Whether it was, you know, they read the, the white paper and they got it, the light bulb went on and they're like, yes, I'm all in. You know, something along, along the way, whether it was just more recently when currency debasement became, you know, as you said, like a, a mainstream understanding and people make that transition and say, aha, now I get it. You know, I, I've, I've gravitated further and further down, you know, I, I don't know the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I just, I, you know, I own more Bitcoin is all, all I'm saying, but I never had my yeah. aha moment, to be honest with you, Mark. And I think that uh, part of the reason was because my background, you know, I cut my teeth as a precious metals investor going back like a decade. And so the right. idea of like personal sovereignty and libertarianism was familiar to me, right? Off-grid wealth, all this stuff. And so when I heard that from the Bitcoin narrative, I was like, yes, it makes sense. It's also familiar. So the novelty factor isn't there. I see the efficiencies and that's appealing, but it wasn't like this breakthrough moment. However, right now, I don't know if anything troubles me as much as this cancel culture and yeah. this, you know, deplatforming people for ridiculous reasons. And I'm, I'm led to wonder. And for I, any I, reason, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, do you have any thoughts on this? Like, you know, what's the future of media in terms of decentralization? Like, do you see any, any concepts there that excite you? Or do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. So um, again, this is a massive shift that's going to reorganize the entire world. So remember, for the last 250 years, people left the, the decentralized world, the farms, and they moved to the cities. And I couldn't just be anywhere in the world. I had to be in the United States or you know, can't, the developed world. And I couldn't just be in the United States. I had to be in the city. I had to be in New York or Chicago or San Francisco. But what we've seen today is now with the internet, um, these big companies have been dematerialized, right? The software is eaten the world, so to speak. And so now people are moving all over the United States. And now in the United States, and I'm sure in Canada as well, people are leaving the cities and they're going to live in rural areas. They're moving to Montana, Wyoming, uh, 
Colorado, places they could have never lived before because there was no jobs. And today they can, yeah. but they can also move to Mexico or El Salvador or where you fill in the blank. Right. And so I think um, people think that the world's very crowded, but if you fly in a plane over the United States and, and Canada, it's wide open. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just people had to be centralized for the cities. And I think over the next you know, hundred years, we're going to see everyone start spreading out and decentralizing and the states start losing their power. The thing they still have the power over is the money. And so really what we have to fix is the money. And the reason why I start with that, because you asked about these technologies, about decentralizing media, media is already decentralized. It's the money. Right. I can already go one. My, I have about 14 people that work for me. They're all decentralized. They're all over the world. In the old days, my business was set up in New York City and the government would come squeeze me because what am I going to do? They're like the mob. What am I going to do? Move my business, right? But today my team is all over the place. And if they squeeze me, I'll just jump down to Mexico. What are they going to do, right? But they still control my money, still in the, in the, in the banking system, which is still run by the Federal Reserve. So we got to fix that. The, the internet is pretty decentralized. So for example, for what's it been a decade or more, we've had like BitTorrent. Like I can go download movies and music on BitTorrent. They can't stop that. Right. Right? They can't stop that. That has nothing to do with blockchain or Bitcoin or none of that. Now, sure, Twitter, right? Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, those are centralized apps and they're doing a lot of censorship, YouTube, et cetera. But the internet itself is pretty decentralized. So, you know, Alex Jones is probably the, the most prominent example of someone who was deplatformed, probably the, the first person really. And, deep, and, and he was completely wiped off the face of the earth, but yet he still gets over 2 million people watching his shows on his website. So as long as you know where he's at and you go to his website, you can still find him. You won't find him on YouTube or Twitter or, or, or uh, you know, Facebook. Right. But if you go to his website, he's still getting millions of people going to watch him there. And so there's not a lot they can do to shut that down. What they can do is let's take Joe Rogan for an example. So Joe Rogan and there's this whole Spotify thing and all that, right? So Spotify pays Joe Rogan. Now, if Joe Rogan were to leave Spotify, he would take all those people with him. Wherever he went, he would, they, his, he gets what, 200 million views a month. Those 200 million people would follow him wherever he went. But how can he make money? Well, that's what we have to fix. So, with Bitcoin, for example, he could accept Bitcoin payments. And so, there's technology back to the technology you're asking me about. So, there's something called Podcasting 2.0. And it was actually started by Adam Curry. Adam Curry was one of the original VJs from MTV. Okay. And so I think the iTunes database, uh, forgive me on these numbers. I don't know if exactly off the top of my head, but the iTunes listing is the largest podcast listing um, out there. And there's something like, I forget, 800,000 podcasts or something like that listed, whatever the number is. But sure. Podcasting 2.0 uh, maintains their own podcast index and it has like, whatever, it's got like five times the amount of, no I I'm sorry, I don't remember the numbers off the head, but it's got all the podcasts of the world, it's a decentralized listing of every podcast, whereas iTunes only lists the podcasts they want, right? right. But on Podcasting 2.0, they're all there. And what they do is now there's technology. So there's um, technologies they can implement. One that I'm use, starting to use now is called Zion. Basically, when users, it's a value for value model. Imagine that. Imagine me giving value for your value back, right? Mm -hmm. That's how the world should work. And so it's a value for value model. So what happens is I can host my podcast on this network. And instead of having me to go get like advertisers and like shill advertisers, what I can do is I can say, hey, um, if you're a fan of my content and you value what I'm providing, right. as you stream my content down, you can stream money back. Okay. Now imagine I used to have a wall full of DVDs and CDs, and now we don't have that anymore because we stream our content. Yeah. Imagine streaming money. Well, you can. 
with Bitcoin, with Bitcoin are broken down in Satoshi's, 100 million sats equal Bitcoin. Sure. And so we can stream sats. So what I can say is um, to stream my content, it's uh, 10 sats a second or 100 sats a minute or whatever amount I want to put on there. And you can... So as you're streaming my content down, you stream sats back to me. And now the users pay for the content they consume and they can do it via micropayments. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think it's uh, about 1200 sats is a uh, dollar. So, you know, 10 sats is like a penny or whatever, right? It's like a fraction. Um, and so there's a lot of applications that do this now. So I can list it on podcasting 2.0. I can do a value for value transfer via uh, Bitcoin. And then using like the Zion app, for example, I have it on my phone. It's like, uh, it has about the same functionality of Telegram. Um, so I can create a community and everyone can chat in a, in a thread, like on Telegram. And then all my podcast episodes are in there. So then I can release all my content in there. Um, all my community can chat. Um, I can chat with them. We can all send sats back and forth to each other. And it's all built on Bitcoin. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is that if I'm if we're in Telegram, I, I created a community in Telegram. When we're trading messages over Telegram, that, that message is going over the Telegram server or through the Telegram server. Right. When I'm doing it over Zion, my message is going peer to peer with you over the Bitcoin network. It's not going through anybody's server. It's peer to peer. And then it creates, it, it fixes all kinds of problems. The, uh, you as a creator know this firsthand, the internet's pretty much a dumpster fire right now. And what do I mean by that? Um, as a YouTuber, <laughs> dude, I have a full-time person that goes through my YouTube comments and deletes spam. Yeah. Like it's insane, right? Yeah. I have uh, on Instagram, on uh, Twitter and on Facebook, I have dozens of impersonator accounts popping up daily that I can't yeah. do anything about. Mm. Um, I mean, on Twitter, I can't even go read my DMs. They're just full of spam, right? It's it's a dumpster fire. All my comments, if I put Bitcoin in the comment or on a on a tweet, I just get full of junk, right? It's it's yeah. it's a complete disaster. Bitcoin can fix that. So how do we do that? So with Zion, what they've done, and actually, uh, actually, Adam Back, who's one of the creators of Bitcoin, what he was originally trying to do with proof of work is try to prevent email spam. And what you do is you put a little tiny payment. So for example, if I said, and what we can do on Zion is I can say, you can join my community and it's 10 sats. 10 sats is like a penny, half a penny, right? It's inconsequential to you. But if you're a spammer trying to spam a million communities, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. And then what I can say is, okay, um, in order for you to be active in my community, it's a 10 sat, 100 sat, 1,000 sat bond. And as long as you're a good community, that bond's good. But if I mark your message as spam, you lose your bond. Interesting. And so what it does is it's inconsequential for the user, for me. But see, what happens right now with the spam on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook and YouTube is that they can just spam the crap out of me. Yeah. And it's no time or money on their side. But for me, it could take an hour of my day. Oh, yeah. Go delete all that. Stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a cost to me, but there's no cost to them. So what Zion's done is they built this payment piece. And remember, it's not about the internet. It's about the payments. We have to fix the payments. And so by doing these micropayments, they can put this in. And, and there's, actually a, there's actually a proposal in to, to license this or be able to build this right into um, Twitter and Instagram. So basically with Twitter, what, what we're trying to get them to do is is that as a Twitter user, I could decide to go post a bond in some sats. And again, it's, it's, it's a penny, it's inconsequential. And then I could get like an orange check mark. And then if, if Twitter would allow me to say, I only accept 
comments from orange check marks. And that means someone has put up a bond. This way they don't have to dox themselves. This way they don't have to show some like online verification. Right. All we know is they put up a, a bond. And so anyway, um, that's a pretty cool technology. It's all being built on Bitcoin. And it's that solution to that problem is only possible with Bitcoin. Yeah, those are important barriers to entry. They don't exist now. And I remember when I first got like exactly what you're saying, the, the YouTube comment spam. And when it first happened to me, I was scrolling through and I was like, who is this? Jay Martin on my account, yeah. like <laughs> right. selling investment advice through a WhatsApp With your picture. Number, yeah. Right? With my picture. And, you know, 50 minutes later, I realized it's not one account. It's just like every new comment's a new account because I can't get rid of them. They're like, it's, it's like an infestation. <laughs> And so I'm calling YouTube support and they really just shrug their shoulders. They're like, you know, we can't really do anything about this. Right. And, uh, and, and now yes, it's systemic, right? Twitter, there's somebody on discord under my name, selling investment advice. Like how many times have I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not on discord. Don't buy anything yeah. and I don't sell investment advice. So, so I'm, I'm going to check this out because I'm actually, Mark, I'm not familiar at all with podcast 2.0 or Zion app, but this is really exciting. Yeah. This feels like exactly what I've been looking for. It's, it's super exciting. And, and what I love about it is that, uh, you know, to the point, uh, like if you've asked these platforms like, um, you know, YouTube or whatever to fix this, what they would probably come up with is some even more draconian, more um, centralized answer. So for example, okay, what we're going to do is every user now has to upload um, their, their credit card statement, their address verification, their passport yeah. with the thing. And like, everyone has to be verified. Like, we don't need that. Like, we can still keep the, the internet anonymous and open. But just post a bond, right? It could be that easy. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we're we're watching media break right now, you know, and and cancel culture will never be satisfied. It's not like eventually, you know, the world will be in a safe place and cancel culture can retire and say, okay, we're satisfied now, right? Yeah, the world is safe again. Like it eventually, I, I think, has to eventually consume itself because it will keep on going and keep on going. You'll move the line, move the line. Until there's well, I, think it, I think it already has. I think it's already gone too far. So what happens is trust, right? The world operates on trust. They, they want, you know, what, what backs the US dollar, for example? Sure. Uh, well, it's the, it's the military, it's debt. No, it's trust, right? We always have to trust that that currency will be, um, someone else will take that currency. And uh, the trust is broken and trust is very fragile. So if you had like a business partner that you were suspecting of embezzling, for example, and and you were you were you were thinking that and and you you had these doubts about him and then you went to your partner and you said uh, hey uh, can we just look at the bank statements and look at a couple of these charges and he said oh no 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 like you don't want to see that like all yeah. of a sudden you would know there was a problem versus if you said yeah hey here here we go let's discuss it right and so they've already lost the trust um, the more that they try to censor the more trust is lost and the only way they can get trust back is through open honest discussion and transparency, but they can't do that. And so at this point, all they can do, so if take Joe Rogan back, Joe Rogan, for example, uh, he got, he's been majorly attacked recently uh, because he's spreading misinformation, supposedly. He had two doctors on, right? Dr. Malone, Dr. McCullough, they're both heavily, heavily credentialed um, and supposedly it's misinformation. Okay, great. Have someone debate him. Mike? Let's debate, get uh, Dr. Fauci or Gupta, or whoever, and debate them. Let's bring it to the public and let's look. Well, but they, and that's they, such a ridiculous accusation when, you know, I'm watching mainstream headlines right now with the most ridiculous claims. One of which that just popped up in my newsfeed like four times today was that the prime minister of Canada is the son of Fidel Castro. And I'm seeing this on like Fox News, that. for example, right? Like, is this, man, I don't, this is National Enquirer material. Well, do you know if, do you, do you know if that's not true? 
okay, I can't prove it, Mark, but like, well, but, but I mean, I, 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 I'm, I don't want to voice it either way, but, but here's the point. I don't want to voice it either way, but I, I have seen that and I've seen the pictures yeah, of yeah, yeah. him and, and that, and, and supposedly I've seen pictures that his mom was with Fidel Castro or his, at some point, I, I don't know. I haven't looked in, I haven't put any time into this. I don't care Yeah. But here, but here's the point. The point is if that's not true, then why not just show that it's not true? If you yeah. suspected me of embezzling from you, sure. I would say, Jay, let's look at the bank statements here, bro. I haven't done anything, yeah. right? And so it's it's the transparency that brings the truth and the confidence back. It's through hiding and censorship that creates more distrust. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And so if Joe Rogan, if these doctors are spreading mis misinformation, great. Bring some other doctors and let's hear about it. But when you can't bring transparency, when you can't argue that, um, then it destroys trust. And uh, that's where the media is today. Unfortunately, they say uh, you don't prove a man wrong by ripping out his tongue. You only prove that you have something to hide. What's up, everybody? Sorry for the interruption. Quick note, if you enjoy these conversations, I publish a weekly newsletter and it's free where I share my top takeaways, lessons learned, and any action steps I might be taking as a consequence in the market. Sign up at cambridgehouse.com. I publish every week and it's free. Now back to the conversation. Now, I want to I want to think a bit or speak a bit bigger picture with you, Mark, looking at some macro trends and I guess how you're planning for the future. Yeah. You know, here's what I'd say is that I, I you know, I interview a ton of people on this show and I hear from the sort of doom and gloom, the sky is falling, you know, hide, run and hide, you know, get your your bug out house and get it ready. And then, yeah. you know, the polar opposite of that, which is, yes, we're going through some tough times, but we're actually moving towards a world of abundance. And the future is beautiful, right? And I usually find that there's like maybe a precious metals background on the uh, dystopian outlook and a technology background on the utopian outlook. Now you 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 straddle this, right? Because you know on your show you cover finance, politics, technology. You know you've got a background in hard asset investment from precious metals and real estate. But you know you're one of the voices that made me turn my head and look a lot closer at Bitcoin. And you speak yeah. a lot about the solutions that are coming on the back of this tech. So, you know, talk to me about your 10-year outlook, Mark. Are you an optimist? Are things going to get better? So um, both. So I'm a I'm bearish five years. I'm I'm bullish 10 years. Okay. So um, I believe there's a lot of work I've been doing on uh, these three revolutionary cycles that are all converging right now. So there's a 250-year political revolution cycle, which I already kind of talked about. There's an 80-year there's an financial revolution cycle, and there's a 50-year technological revolution cycle. And all three are converging at the same time right now. So a lot of people want to know, like, <laughs> like you guys got the, the Hong Kong truckers going on up there, right? Yeah. There's protests going on all over the world. Yeah. Um, and uh they're protesting uh, mandates, or supposedly, or vaccines, or um, you know, and and a couple of years ago in Paris, it was the yellow jackets, and supposedly they were protesting uh, this new gas tax, and in Hong Kong they were protesting China, like whatever, right? And it's all black swan, right? This is all black swan, right, Jay? Like, uh, who would have ever known that a virus would have come? Like, who, who? No one could have ever guessed that. Well, no, it's not a black swan. As a matter of fact, history tells us that this would have happened, because every two hundred fifty years we have this uprising, this political revolution that happens. And so the, there was already, before the pandemic happened, there was 10 countries with over 1 million people each in the streets marching before the pandemic. Mm. 
So this is not about the pandemic. This is about centralization over government overreach. It's gotten too big. And so we're pushing back on centralization to move to decentralization. At the same time that's happening, on a 50-year time frame, there's a technological revolution happening. So a technological revolution is different than a technology. A new technology is like Uber. That's cool. Like I used to have to call a yellow cab, now I call a black car, whatever. Um, iPhone, right? I used to have a regular phone, now I have an iPhone, cool. Um, those are new technologies. A technological revolution is something that changes the course of humanity. It changes the way the world works. So there's been five, industrial revolution, um, steam engines and, and railways, um, steel and electricity, oil, automobiles, and mass production, and telecommunications, microchips, or uh, microprocessors. Okay. Those all changed the way the world worked. For all of humanity, people walked and rode horses, and now there was cars. Wow. Changed the course of man. For all of humanity, we had candles, and now we have electricity, which was more than candles, obviously, right? And so they changed the course of humanity. And so that happens on a 50-year time frame. So at the time, on a 250-year time frame, when the world is rejecting centralization, it's moving to decentralization, we have a technology, a technological revolution that's giving us decentralized technology, Bitcoin, which is pretty amazing. And then on an 80-year time frame, we have a financial revolution that's happening. So there's like an 80-year long-term debt cycle. So mm -hmm. 80 years ago was the Bretton Woods Agreement, which is the entire financial system of the world got reset on a global financial system, on a gold standard, which was you know on the dollar system. Mm -hmm. And now the IMF, Kristalina Georgina, is calling for a Bretton Woods II. That's her words. Bretton right. Woods too. So if Bretton Woods one was reset in the global financial system into a new currency, one world currency, what is a Bretton Woods two? Mm. Reset in the global financial system into one world currency, mm. right? And so we know that uh, central banks have you know two tools, which is interest rates and monetary supply. And interest rates are at zero or negative in most parts of the world. Monetary supply, I mean, they created twenty trillion dollars in the last twenty four months. Uh, there's been over three hundred trillion dollars of debt created in the last fifty years. Like it's right. done, right? So if you're playing a game and you're out of moves, you reset the game. Sure. And so we have all three of these things happening right now. Um, and I say that because that sets up where we are in this next 10 years. So you asked about the next 10 years. So yeah, all of these cycles are converging right now. Now, just like um, spring is a day on the calendar, it doesn't mean the weather changes that exact day, right? It's plus or minus. And so these cycles are all converging around 2023 to 2026. So 2025 is kind of the date that I'm looking at. Um, I think that things will continue to get worse for the next couple of years, meaning when I say worse, I mean um, more MMT, more modern monetary theory, more more money printing, more, you know, more interest rate manipulation, more centralization, more um, pressure and squeezing from the governments, you know, trying to get us tighter and tighter and tighter. Because what they're doing is they're trying to hang on, just like the Protestant Reformation, the church tried to hang on. Um, it's inevitable what's happening, but it's their last. It's, it's the only thing they can do is try to hang on. As I already laid the case with the internet plus Bitcoin, what the future holds is inevitable. They can kill as many people as they want or deplatform. It's not going to make a difference. Um, so I think they're going to continue to squeeze. They're going to continue to print more money, and uh, and then it's going to break. Now, what? And then from there, I think then things start getting better. And I would say by the end of the decade, I think we'll see the end of the giant nation state. Things are going to be much more free, much more open. And I think there's massive hope and prosperity for our kids. I'm a huge bull on that. I think we'll see the biggest boom that we've ever seen since the 1500s. And there's a couple of reasons why I say that. But before I do, let's dig into these next couple of years. What I think is probable to happen, and this is, uh, this is my opinion, this is speculation. I don't have a crystal ball. So take this for what it's worth. But here's what I see is happening. So um, as I said, interest rates are at zero or negative. Money, monetary supply is, is printed. You know, they, they can't do anything with it. 
and not just the United States, but really in the world, Canada is even probably in a worse situation. Europe is in a bad situation. China's in a bad situation where um, if they don't continue to stimulate the markets, the markets are going to crash. But if they do continue to stimulate the markets, inflation is running away. Now, in the past, they've been able to fight that by raising rates or things like that, but you can't do that in the condition that we have today with the amount of inflation that we have and so forth. So they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Now we've seen like the ECB and China, they're like, we're not raising rates. As a matter of fact, we're lowering rates. The US is trying to raise rates. Um, it's a very dangerous situation. There's a third option that I think is much more scary and it's the one I think most likely to be taken. And so what is that third option specifically in the United States, but I think we'll see it most of the developed world is that what we do is like, if I continue to stimulate, inflation runs away. And if inflation runs away, the people are going to be very unhappy. So what we're going to do, we've seen this in the United States, I don't know about if you've seen it in Canada, but Senator Elizabeth Warren came out on Thanksgiving and said, these greedy turkey companies charging way too much for turkey, I'm going to launch an investigation as to why these turkeys are so expensive. President Joe Biden said, I'm, why, are the, why is gasoline so expensive? I'm going to go start an SEC investigation into why gas prices are so high. What they're talking about is price fixing. What they're talking about is, well, if prices keep going higher, what we should do is cap the prices so prices don't go up anymore. Now, this isn't the first time the United States has taken it. As a matter of fact, the United States has not only taken it, but every nation at the end tries price fixing. And of course, it doesn't work. And so what I think is probably going to happen is through what I call just job owning, just talking about it, the Fed is going to, we're going to raise rates. We're going to taper. They haven't done anything yet. They announced it in November. They haven't done anything yet. And yet the markets have sold off. Right. They haven't even done anything. All they've done is said something, right? So they can continue to talk like this. They can, they're talking about reorganizing the CPI basket. So they'll change the way uh, inflation is calculated. So for example, home prices in the United States are up an average of 35%. Some states are up uh, and some states rents as high as 60% up 60% up in some states. It's an average of 17%, but yet CPI only called it like 3.5%. And that takes that makes up 25% of the CPI basket. If they would have put it where it really is, inflation would be way higher than 7%. So they'll reorganize the CPI basket to bring that number down and they'll start capping prices on some things and they'll com combat it that way so that they can continue to stimulate without crashing things. Now, some of this is like, can they really fix things? This way, can they really keep the markets from crashing? But I think that assumes a bias that they want to keep the market from crashing. What if they don't want to keep the market from crashing? What if they only want to keep the market crashing until they're ready for it to crash? What does that mean? Well, back to they're calling for a reset of the financial system. If you're out of moves, you reset the game, right? So they have to reset the financial system. So what if they're only trying to keep it going until they're ready for the reset? Well, what does that mean? What, what, why would they be ready? Well, they're not ready yet because the next move is central bank digital currencies. We've heard it directly from the BIS, right? We know China's already rolled theirs out. We know the US, the Fed is working on them. Most countries, as a matter of fact, the Fed is kind of behind on it. Most developed countries are already pretty far along with it. Um, and so there's where, where they're really trying to go, and, and this is, Trying to, I'm trying to pack a lot into a little here. If you look back, remember technology changes things and they've lost their grip, just like the church and they're trying to hang on. Um, the only hope they have is full censorship and control. So really what they're trying to do is get our lives into this. Um, the nations have started using something called uh, what they call freedom as a service. So that means that, Jay, you weren't born free. No, no, no. 
if you do what we say as a good boy, then you get freedom from us, freedom right. of service. And so they want us to be able to show this device to gain access to freedom. So um, if you get your vaccine, then you show this. If you use a digital ID, then you can gain access. If you use a central bank digital currency, then you can get access. And right. all that is uh, is for control. I don't think this is controversial or conspiratorial. I mean, like I said, we see the central bank digital currencies coming. The BIS has already called for it. And so we see lots of talk lately about a cyber pandemic, a cyber attack. Russia has been doing cyber attacks on us. And just like uh, before the pandemic, they did like a war game on what a pandemic would look like and how they would how they would you know navigate it. They also right. have just finished one done on a cyber pandemic as well. And I read the paper, and what it said is that in a cyber pandemic, they would uh, they would guess that the attack would be on the financial system, and what they would have to do. And actually, Klaus Schwab made a video about this. Klaus Schwab that said that um, the internet has the virus. And we must vaccinate the internet. And in order to do that, we will shut the internet down. That's what he said. That's his words and his accent. But in this paper, what they said is that they would probably attack on the financial system. And they said what would have to happen is we'd have to have a quote. This is their words, quote unquote, bank holiday. So a bank holiday is done in 1933 when they seized the gold in the United States. They did a bank holiday. When they opened up the bank, no one could get their gold out. In Cyprus, when they did the bail-in, they did a bank holiday. Right. In Greece, when they stole the money, they did the bank holiday. So what they said is they'd shut the banks down, they do a bank holiday. So there's all this talk about a cyber pandemic. They could do this bank holiday, shut the banks down, and then they could say, um, hey, you know what? This, the internet, the internet's not safe. Like These guys took the whole internet down. Now, in order to be safe, everyone should use a digital ID. Everyone needs a global ID now. No more anonymous users. It's not safe. The, the financial system got wrecked. It wasn't our fault. It wasn't our fault. Like these guys took it down. Sure. Um, so now we're going to do is we're going to roll out a new central bank digital currency. So the dollars that you have in your account today, we're going to credit you one to one, but now it's a new central bank digital currency. Right. But they would need some sort of an event to get that to happen. I'm estimating it's going to take anywhere from 12 to 24 months to get that ready to go. Um, just based off the, and I, and, I, and I come up with that just based off the time that it's taken China to roll theirs out through the test phase that they've done, uh, where the US is with theirs already. So they put it up for a comment, I think three weeks ago. So like it's getting there pretty close. So maybe it's uh, 12 to 24 months, probably closer 18 to 24 months before that's ready. So that puts us at 2024, right? 2024, 2025. Um, so maybe they keep this game going a little bit longer, kick the can down the road um, until they're ready to reset the game have a problem, switch everybody to CBDC. I know that's a lot of, a uh, lot of uh, opinion. Well, you know, but it also, you can follow the thread, right? And you can look at past trajectories and, and make a logical assessment that we are very likely headed to some version of that, right? You know, the well, I think, like, I think it's, it's, it's an indisputable fact that the governments are working on central bank digital currencies. That's fact. Yes, right. Um, it's also fact that the IMF called for a Bretton Woods agreement. Sure. It's also fact that the 80-year long-term debt cycle is due and there's not much ammo left. Yeah. Those are facts. It's just a matter of when, really, that we're, we're speculating about. So where that lands me, though, Mark, is that lands me in dystopia, right? It lands me in a place of currency as a surveillance tool and a control mechanism, right? I mean, yeah. Everything you just said, right? Like you could be rewarded or disciplined on behavior and that may affect your bank account or just basic controls. Like we want to stimulate this part of the economy, not that one. So you actually get a premium spending money over here, but a discount spending money over there. 
yep. and um, easy to stimulate the economy. You just put an expiration date on the digital currency. We all we know all this, right? Like maybe your your cash loses ten percent of value every two and a half months. Well, just just look months. at what happened with the GoFundMe for the truckers, and you can imagine what a central bank digital currency world looks like. I bet they wish they used Bitcoin for that right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but but let's let's bridge the gap then, because so I'm with you, by the way. You know, like, you know, I'm based in Canada. My wife's American. My kids have dual. We're constantly looking across the border and deciding, you know, what's our line, right? Before we'd actually pick up and leave. And, you know, three kids, it's a big consequential move. But in the last eight months, I've been to Louisiana, uh, Texas, Arizona, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, California. What I love about the U.S. is the sovereignty of the states, because every time you skip a border, a state border, it's like you have a new, a completely new risk management policy, right? Yeah. And it's almost like you're in a new country. So you really get to choose your own adventure, you know? And, you know, we've got family in various pockets and, and all this. But what I told her, because she's more keen to move south than I am, I just said, look, it's too soon to call it. Like, we, we don't know what any of that's going to look like in two years, you know? And so it'd be, it's too early to make the jump right now and say, it's going to be better down there. Because I think, like you, you know, it's a good eight years away, 10 years away, I think 2030 before things maybe begin to settle. So walk and do that because you walk me yeah. through until, you know, peak volatility, but you're still an yeah. optimist. So how do you get? Yeah. There? So, so that was, that's kind of the next couple of years. And that's why I'm bearish. I think they're going to continue to manipulate the currencies. They're going to continue to inflate the currencies. Um, I think they're going to continue to squeeze uh, politically. So that's why I said I'm bearish for the next couple of years. I think things will continue to get worse. I think by 2025, things break. And so what's happening is um, Newton's third law, right? Uh, equal force has an equal and opposite reaction. And so the more they squeeze, the more people push back. The more they push, more tech is developed to be dissident tech. The more they, they squeeze people like the truckers, um, the more people are going to move to something like Bitcoin, right? They're right. doing the marketing for us. Yeah, right? 100%. Um, and so they're proving Bitcoin's use case. They're proving the need for Bitcoin. They're putting it on the map. Thank you. You know, the more they try to push, the more, um, the more they censor, the more trust they lose. The more they try to squeeze, the more entrepreneurs fire back and find ways around. The more they try to censor our money, the more attention it brings to things like Bitcoin. And so all they're doing is speeding up the inevitable. If they would just roll back, I mean, I'm back to Canada and I don't want to dig deep into that, but... All those truckers are saying is like, just drop the mandates, right? Like you want this to go away, just drop the mandates. If, if, if the leaders would just roll back to the way things were two years ago, everything could just settle down, but they can't. They can't at this point. And so it's only going to escalate. So that's what I think happens the next couple of years. Then I think it breaks. And so what happens is by moving to Bitcoin. And so first off, as I said, the internet, it's already pretty decentralized, right? BitTorrent. They can't stop BitTorrent, right? It's the money that we have to fix. And so Bitcoin is that money. And so once I can become self-sovereign with my money, then it gives me lots of options. So I talked about how the internet allows me to move around. You're talking about maybe moving from Canada to, to the US. Maybe you'd want to go all the way to Mexico. Like who knows, right? But you have those options because as long as you have an internet, you could continue to do your job. Yeah. But not if they take your money, right? It's all about the money. So Bitcoin unlocks that, but it does two things. One, it allows me to pull my money out to be self-sovereign, but it also defunds their initiative. Right. So what happens is um, if you and I were having a party or let's say I was having a party and like, hey, you guys, you're being too loud. Do this, do that, whatever, right? I can control you. You're at my house. But if I kick you out and I kick them out and I kick them out, eventually I kick everybody out of the party. I'm the only one left. And now who can I control? No one's at my party anymore. 
right? So as we all start to exit the existing financial system, they don't really have as much control over us anymore. Sure. Um, and so I think this really climaxes by 2025. That's what the historical cycles show. Um, if we look at um, one way that you measure technology is something called diffusion of innovation. It's like this bell curve. And it's like the innovators, the early majority, the late majority. You've seen that before. Yeah. And then on that, you also you measure technology adoption through an S-curve. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at, you know, t- color TVs or telephones or internet, you can measure it all with the S-curve. Yeah. And the way an S-curve works is that the time it takes to go from zero to 10% is the same amount of time it should go take from 10 to 90%. Mm-hmm. And so Bitcoin reached 10% adoption in 2019, which means by 2029, mm-hmm. we should be at about 80 to 90% adoption. Yeah. yeah. Based off S-curve, which is, you know. Pretty and reliable. we're on track, by the way, if you look at growth from 2019 to today. It- yeah. It's mashing that curve. So I think um, I think 2025 ish, 2024 to 2026 is the climax. I think that's when um, things really start to then turn for the better or the worse. If you're worse, if you're the state, better if you're the individual. Uh, meaning that we'll be able to get much more local jurisdictions. Uh, we'll be able to move to different areas that we like better. Things will start to be much more open and free for us, and things like that. And then I think by 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 the end of the decade, by 2030. I think, like I said, I think we'll see the end, at least the signal of the end of the giant nation state um, and much more freedom that way. And in the United States, you know, we can see we're at this at this precipice where, you know, President Biden put these mandates and federal vaccine mandates. Twenty six states sued and said, nope, we ain't doing that. Right. Governor DeSantis in uh, Florida and uh, in, uh, in Texas, they said, hey, you businesses, you can't come here to our state. And happening. Right. Um, and then and then we saw this last week where um, President Biden's put out an announcement, an announcement of announcement, an announcement that he's going to do an executive order to regulate cryptocurrency. Okay. We don't know what the announcement is yet, but we're going to do an executive order and we're going to regulate cryptocurrency. At the same time, the Treasury also put together a bill to give them unlimited funding to fight cryptocurrency. I didn't know that. At the same, at the same time, uh, Texas and um, Arizona put bills in to make Bitcoin legal tender. I saw that. So the states are like, the federal government's like, hey, we're going to do this. And the states are like, screw you. You ain't doing nothing, right? So we're already seeing, we're seeing, those are lines in the sand. I mean, those are fighting words, right? <laughs> like those are lines in the sand. How do you back down from that, right? So um, that's what's going to continue. And I think, like I said, I think things get better uh, through the end of the decade. Um, and by the end of the decade, I think we'll be bullish. Now, I did say that I think we'll see the greatest boom of prosperity the world's ever seen. And the reason why I would say that is two things. If we go back 500 years, we have to look at these long lenses. And if we jump in 500-year timeframes, because these 250-year swings, the pendulum swings like 250 years like this, so it's like 500 years round trip. At the end of the Roman Empire in 1000 AD, and then we had 500 years later was the Protestant Reformation. Now, what happened at the Protestant Reformation, a couple of things happened. There was two catalysts that I think are important. One being the printing press, which we talked about, decentralized information. The other thing that happened is in Florence, we got the Florin, which was the gold coin. It was the longest lasting gold coin that went, I think, almost 400 years without being debased. And what that did is it allowed free trade to flourish globally. And when free trade was able to flourish globally, because we had a sound money that everybody could recognize, everybody could trade freely, it allowed for more specialization. And more specialization plus more information from the printing press had an explosion of ideas, an explosion of of, uh, creation, which led to the Renaissance age, the Enlightenment age. It was the greatest explosion from the 1500s until, you know, really the 1900s that the world had ever seen. Uh, but then we got the central banks. We started debasing the currency. 
Uh, we got the giant nation state and, and things have kind of slowed down. But we're seeing, and what happens is on a 250 year time frame, we go from a creative cycle, 1775, the print, the, the industrial revolution, and it swung back to an analytical cycle. Here we are now about to swing onto another creative cycle, and we have the same two catalysts the printing press, decentralized information, the internet decentralized information. Sure. The florin was the longest lasting currency without being debased, globally recognized. Bitcoin is a currency that can't be debased and it's global recognized. And so we have both of the same catalysts at the exact same pendulum point swinging towards creativity. And so once we get on the other side of the giant nation state that limits our ability to create, to produce wealth, right? Wealth is goods and services, right? Um, I need to be able to create goods and services to create wealth, right? Money's not wealth. If, if you and I were stuck on a desert island with a billion dollars of cash or a billion dollars of gold or Bitcoin, it's all worthless unless we have right. goods and services to buy. Um, but like in LA, I don't know how I was in Canada, but like, dude, here in LA, I can't start a car. To start an ice cream shop would, would take me a year of paperwork and red tape to get through. Like sure. I've, I'd never make money back on that. I can't even build a shed in my yard without going through a year <laughs> of city planning, right? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that all that does is stifle things. The nation state has gotten too big. So once we break on the other side of that, we get freedom back. We have both the explosion of information, the internet, and the money. I think we'll see an, a, an explosion of new ideas and new creation that the world has never seen. It'll be like the Renaissance. I call it Renaissance 2.0. It's Renaissance times a thousand. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. Now talk to me about what you're doing today then to prepare for that, Mark. Like, how are you positioning yourself? I know you got young kids, so you're thinking about that. You're thinking long-term. Yep. Um, I know you bought a ranch in Texas recently. Yep. I've seen you down in El Salvador, checking out Bitcoin yep. beach. I yep. thought you had moved to Puerto Rico, but you're, you're back in LA. So talk to me about your personal situation, your personal wealth portfolio, how you position yep. yourself. I see all this prosperity on the other side, but I see trouble in the short term. So the, the answer is, how do I hang on to what I have so that I can get to the other side, right? Where it's going to be worth a lot of money. Now, I'm old enough to have lived through a couple massive crashes. I, I referenced the 2008 financial crash. I lived through the dot-com crash. Um, I started my career at the at the end of a, a previous real estate crash. Um, and so I recognize that a lot of money is made on the backside of those. Right. And so first two, I did pretty good on uh, the 2008 one. Unfortunately, I got kind of got wiped out and I didn't really get to take full advantage of coming out of that. So I've learned my lesson that way. So how do we keep our wealth in a way that we can be positioned on the other side of that? And so um, a couple of things that I think of one, first off is the world's very uncertain. And so how do we, how do we beat uncertainty? We do that with optionality. So the more options I have, the more certain my future can be. So I think about my wealth, but I also think about my health being wealth. I also think about my freedom, my freedom as an asset, my health as an asset. So you mentioned I've been down in El Salvador. So I've built a nice community down there. Um, I have another really good community in Mexico and uh, I'm building a house in Mexico right now. I just bought a 12 and a half acre ranch uh, in Texas as well. So, um, and I have a house here in, in California. So I have options. So if California were to get too crazy for me, I can go live in Texas on a ranch with gun-toting, steak-loving, uh, freedom-loving people, right? Sure. And uh, and I can have that if I need to make my make a stand there. If I want to get out of the United States altogether, I can just bounce down to Mexico. I have real. I've been establishing for years good communities down there. I know people. I know all that. Where I could even go to El Salvador. I don't have a house there, but at least I have a community of people that I could go plug into right away. Right. And so I have those options. A lot of that starts with the money. So first thing is I have to have my money in a way that I can take it with me. So um, my bank account could get frozen at any time. I can't take my real estate with me and I can't carry my gold with me. 
I can take my Bitcoin anywhere. So as long as I have that, then if I, if I can't be in Mexico or El Salvador, maybe I can go to Poland. Maybe I can go to St. Bart's. Maybe I can go to Cayman, like whatever. I have all these options because I have money. Um, so that's what opens that up. Now about the money, what am I going to do with my money? Uh, from an investor standpoint, I talk about macroeconomic things and investing money. The way that I kind of see things is that uh, as I've already kind of laid out the case, I think that um, we have more money printing ahead. I think that uh, the Fed, the central banks are job owning. As I said, they're pretending to do something they're probably not. I think that we'll continue to lose purchasing power, and we'll, which means we'll continue to see asset prices continue to rise. Um, so I am not super heavy cash. Uh, I'm a little bit heavier cash than I was a year ago, but uh, I'm, I'm not in, in a lot of cash. Um, probably right now, it's about 25% cash. It's, uh, it's not enough to worry about the debasement that much, but it's enough to give me peace of mind and uh, scoop up some deals if they come. I'm not big into the stock market. Uh, I don't think the average person should be. I think uh, that's, a, that's all commoditized. You have no edge there. I like to look at it as, uh, I like to look at businesses that earn. <laughs> so I have money in, uh, what I've been doing is I've, I've been out of real estate for quite a while. Recently in the last year, I've started acquiring more. So back to the ranch. I got a ranch. I've got, I picked up a couple of properties that are putting into rental properties. I've locked in like 30 year debt at 3% interest on. And so that seems like a really good long volatility play to me. Locking in, I mean, they're saying CPI is 7%. We know inflation is really probably more 15 to 20%. I think it will continue to be that way. I look at that based off of the money supply increase. Yeah. Um, I think the Fed will have to continue to increase the money supply, not just the Fed, but all the central banks of the world. And so if I if if I can lock in 30-year debt at 3% and they're in, increasing the money supply by more than 3%, yeah, which I'm pretty sure they will, I feel pretty good about that. Um, and then those properties make good cash flow. Um, and if I need to, I can go live on them and eat the, eat the cows and the chickens and grow my own food if I need to. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, obviously, um, a lot of Bitcoin. Um, I look at Bitcoin uh, as an investment, but really it's also a savings tool. So kind of like gold would be looked at. If you looked at gold, you might look at gold as more of like a store of value as yeah. like a savings vehicle. And you would look at miners as more of like investments. Yeah. And I think if I was looking at the cryptocurrency space, I'd look at probably the same way where Bitcoin is really that store of value, that savings. And if I want to speculate with some cryptocurrencies, you know, maybe I'll do that with a little bit just kind of for fun. Um, sure. But really that Bitcoin is like that gold. That's like my savings, right? Mm. That and then uh, and then business. And so businesses is where I spend the majority of my time focusing, as I'm sure you do as well. Most investors do. You take the best investors in the world, the Warren Buffetts, Warren Buffett's works, man. He has a company called Berkshire Hathaway. Ray Dalio, he works. He has a company called Bridgewater Capital. Like the best investors in the world are actually working, right? They're not just investing. They're working. They're creating, they're creating uh, wealth. So I focus on that, creating wealth. Um, I take that wealth that I create and I invest it. I like, um, I'm locking in long-term debt, long volatility, um, cash flowing assets, um, storing quite a bit in Bitcoin. Um, and that kind of rounds it out. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit on one data point that most don't, which is cash flowing businesses, right? Yeah. And whether that's, you know, multiple streams of income, the most overlooked in conversations like this, I wonder why that is, because you're absolutely right. And it's where I spend 70% of my time, right, is on, is on my business, whether that's the events or the media. And I'm sure Ray Dalio and Warren Buffett do as well, as yeah, do I. 100%, 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's not as seductive as, you know, the big win in the market. Maybe that's why it doesn't come up a conversation because it's the behind the scenes grunt work that is required. Look, Mark, it's been awesome having you back on the show and catching up. But whereabouts in Texas is your ranch? You don't have to tell I'm me. I'm about 30 minutes outside of Austin. Okay, you're close. Like towards San Antonio, which direction are you? 
Um, it's uh, west. West, okay. West right. of Boston. All right. Yeah. We were looking and, at and what, and what they and what they call the hill country. The hill country. All right. Sounds like cowboy country. It's uh, it's beautiful. Um, Austin is uh, both. It's become a, a pretty big hub, right? It's it's kind of Bitcoin central of the world right now, and um, it's also kind of marketing central, right? You got the Alex Jones and the Joe Rogans and whatnot that have gone there. Yeah. So from a business standpoint, it's really good. Um, from a sovereignty standpoint, I think Texas is in the best um, case to be the most sovereign state of the nation yeah. um, from, from, from a whole lot of reasons. There's no, there's, no, there's no snowboarding and there's no surfing there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But you're not too far away. We were down there. We were looking at Austin ourselves. For me, it was like a town of a, a city of a million people. I just can't do it. Like I live in the town of 20,000 people and I love it, right? Yeah. I'm 45 minutes outside of downtown Vancouver so I can get there. I'm not a city person either, which is why we chose chose to get out there. Yeah. Um, it's it's a small town out there and you're 30 minutes into town if you That's want. That's lovely. Yeah. The perfect mix. The perfect mix. Okay, man. Well, I appreciate your time, Mark. It's good catching up. Thanks for your insight. I'd love to do it again. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.